Welcome to Leadership Lessons, helping pastors lead better. My name is Todd Gray, Executive Director Treasurer for the Kentucky Baptist Convention. My guest today is Pastor Wes Fowler. For the West is pastor of Mayfield First Baptist Church in Mayfield and the newly elected president of the Kentucky Baptist Convention. Congratulations, Brother Wes. Thank you so much. It's uh, it's an honor and a, a pleasure to serve. Brother, we're grateful for you. Wes is a graduate of New Orleans Theological Seminary and holds a doctorate in expository preaching from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And Wes, did, did I hear that you're actually pursue, uh, pursuing a Ph.D.? Well, I am. I'm applying for that. Uh, that on down the road, we'll see. I'm in the application process right now. If they will have me, I will. I will pursue it. The obvious question is: Are you a glutton for punishment? <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. No, I'm, I'm planning on pursuing a, pursuing a PhD in Christian preaching at Southern Seminary if uh, if the Lord provides. Yeah. Wes is married to Tara. They live in Mayfield and have three children. And Wes is actually the pastor of the church where he grew up in. And so we're going to talk about that. Um, coming soon on Leadership Lessons, there'll be a website where all of these conversations are hosted. Also, kind of a condensed version is put out, just hitting some of the highlights along with other leadership resources. But we thank you for joining us. If you have questions that you'd like to send in, feel free to put those in the comment section of the Facebook Live, and we'll try to get to as many of them as we as we can. So. Wes, let's jump right in. Where did you grow up, and how did you come to faith in Jesus? Well, I grew up about three miles from where I'm sitting right now, here in Mayfield, uh, Mayfield, Kentucky. And uh, I came to the Lord when I was eight years old. Um, uh, the brief part of my story would be, as, a, as an eight-year-old, I was very unsure about death. In fact, I say that I was scared to death of death, and I was having really bad nightmares uh, after watching a show where a man died in a terrible way. Um, and my mom and dad would, would kneel by my bedside uh, every single night and, and talk to me about life and death and about the Lord. And then one night, they, I mean, they, they shared with me multiple times, but on, on one occasion, it, it seemed to click as they talked to me about repenting of my sin, accepting the Lord as my, as my Savior. And knowing for sure, I think for me as an eight-year-old, it was knowing for sure what was going to happen to me whenever I died. That was, that was kind of the the main thing. I was just scared to death of death. So I asked Jesus to save me. I repented of my sins, became a believer that, that night. And the, the beauty of that night as an eight-year-old that I always look back on, I mean, I'm 44 years old right now, but I can remember that night because I slept like a baby. Wow. And I hadn't slept good in, not, I mean, in probably a couple of weeks. And I slept perfectly. No more nightmares. Uh, just beautiful. Wes, that's an incredible story, and it's awesome that your parents were able to have that experience with you. It, it's a perfect fit to Deuteronomy chapter 6, yeah. 4 through 9, uh, teach your children. Has that influenced you as a parent, the fact that your parents were spiritual leaders in your in your life? There's no doubt at, at all. They talked about the Lord often at, at home, uh, again, going back to Deuteronomy 6, and so we, we do as well. Uh, in fact, we talked about that we had a quiet time this morning with our with our kids before school, which we which we typically typically do. And it's it's not even always a certain time of the day. It's just throughout the day that we have a time where we talk about uh, the things of God. Yeah. How old are your children? Well, we have an 11 year old son, um, Brax. Uh, we have a seven year old uh, girl named Briley. And then, of course, we have a little Pierre uh, who is five years old. So five, seven and 11. And Brax is a Rubik's uh, Rubik's Cube champion. Is that is that correct? He is very good at the Rubik's Cube. It's something that we, we kind of enjoy together. I showed him years ago. It's a, it's a hidden talent of mine, Todd, that I can solve the Rubik's Cube, you know. And uh, uh, I, I can solve it, you know, a minute and a half is what I typically solve. it. And I, anyway, I was just showing it to, to, to him and he took off. I mean, he really got into it. And his I think his best time is 13 seconds, something like that. So, so going from a mixed-up Rubik's cube with the colors all over the place to twisting it around and making all the turns, you're saying 13 seconds start, uh, start to finish. Yeah, I mean the world record is maybe right at four seconds. Oh my! And so 13 is still quite a bit above that, but yeah, he's gotten 13 seconds in a competition. His best time is uh, just under 15 seconds. That he's actually so he, he goes to competitions, and this is a there's a whole world out there of Rubik's cubers. You have, uh, I think you have some some videos on Facebook that show him working. When I mean, 15 seconds is pretty incredible. So I guess if you're good at Rubik's cubes, can you also do the little triangle thing at Cracker Barrel? Can you get that down to one consistently? <laughs> he can. 
you know, he, he's got that memorized perfectly. But uh, yeah, he loves all cubes. He does the so the main cube, you know, is called a three by three. But he also solves the four by four, the five by five, the six by six, and the seven by seven. Any of those, any of those cubes like that, he can solve them and he can do it very quickly. Wes, as a as a parent, you're a pastor and and a, and a busy pastor in a in a, in a strong congregate, a strong church. Uh, what are some challenges that you experience? In I mean, all parents have cha- challenges, but you're a Christian parent. You're trying to lead your family in a Christian way. What are some challenges for you as a as a believer trying to raise children today? Yeah, just challenges like as a, as a pastor of the church and like balancing pastor and family, or just with the world that we live in. Both both and yeah. Yeah, I think obviously balancing balancing your schedule versus you know your your family time, and we we try to be very protective of of, of that. Uh, I try to have my evenings at home if at all possible. Uh, try to really protect the weekends. Uh, a lot of time on Saturday. Um, you know, as far as from the challenges with just the world that way that we live in, I think we have some pretty honest, open conversations at the house, especially with Brax. At age eleven, he he's more aware of what's on the news and he's more aware of what's out there. And so we just kind of have an open environment where he can ask questions and we'll we'll talk to him as openly as we know how. Um, there are certainly challenges, but we work through them day by day. And Wes, that's exactly what is described in Deuteronomy 6, uh, 4 through you know, four through 7, and, and even following after that is that um, these words, hide them in your heart, that you may teach your children, talk about them when you sit down, when you rise up, when you lie down, just all the time. So, I mean, that's just that's Christian parenting. Yeah, it, it comes down just to time stewardship. I mean, really, really watching, not not always being consumed with things going on here here at the at the church. Um, I think actually COVID, I think, has maybe helped us reprioritize a little bit and really appreciate that time that we have together as family. It was good for my family in that way too. Yeah. Well, how did the calling into vocational or, or to Christian ministry leadership? How did that calling come to you? When did you first recognize that God had something for you in, in that way? So I was originally in the retail industry and in, in business, and then I felt called to go back to school and finish my bachelor's degree because I was interviewing people that had degrees and I did not have one. So I felt I felt kind of kind of awkward. So when I stepped away from my job, great job that I had at uh, at Hibbit Sports, I was a district manager. I had most of the Florida stores except for the Panhandle and most of the South Georgia stores were were mine. And I uh, stepped away from that, went to school at Valdosta State. And then First Baptist of Valdosta needed a, a youth pastor. There's, there's quickly left, and they needed someone just to kind of fill in. And uh, I was working with the youth, um, you know, and so they said, hey, would you? That's where I was attending as a, as a member, um, but not in ministry at all, except for helping out in Sunday school and helping out on Wednesday nights. And they said, hey, do you mind kind of being the interim, just kind of stepping in? And I said, hey, temporarily, I need a job. I'm going back to school. I'll be happy to do it. Um, I'm probably going to be pursuing law school at some point. Just know that. And so I was on a, I was on an interim basis, but they never put together a search team, and they never they never hired somebody. So for basically two years, as I was finishing my bachelor's degree, I was the interim youth pastor. And then after that, so God used that experience to say, Wes, this is this is where I want you, because I just I just loved ministry and I loved the church and I loved preaching and I loved teaching. And there came a day, there came a day where I had law school applications on one side of the table and I, I literally had my Bible on the other side. Wow. And I was sitting there by myself just looking back and forth. And I, I consider this my moment of calling in life where I, I said, Lord, if this is truth, if this word is really true and people need to know this, I can't do anything else. Like this is it. And so in that moment at the kitchen table, I felt like I was supposed to do this, preach this Bible for the rest of my life. Uh, And so the church saw that calling as well and called me as their full-time youth pastor. And so I was there for a total of eight years. Wes, your story has so many common traits with with others. So we're we're trying to think through KBC Mission Board staff, an initiative that will be referred to, for lack of a better term, until somebody has a more creative term, it'll be calling out the called. And you know, my original thought was that okay, we we help folks recognize they're called, help them get a little training, and help them get to pastor a church. But it it doesn't seem to work that way for most people. It seems that that people get saved, they grow, they start serving, and through serving, more opportunities come open, and it just seems like the Lord just opens more doors. At some point, a person realizes God's God's calling me into into a Christian ministry. And I had I had two godly men uh, in that in that church. My my pastor was Dr. Phil West that I served with for eight years, 
invested in me every single day. Our Minister of Education was Mac Weaver, invested in me every single day for eight years. And I still call them with questions. And I still, if I'm in Georgia, I go see them and they are, I mean, they're my pastors. And, and so, yeah. So Wes, what, what do these guys do? When you say they invested in you, what, and uh, they obviously spent time, but what are some specific things that they did to invest in you? I mean, one thing that's really simple is I, I think they probably added a couple thousand dollars a year to my package because they took me out to eat, you know, three or four times a week, it seemed like, and they paid for it. And and we would just talk. I mean, they yeah. talk about life. They talk about my marriage. They talk about ministry. Uh, but every every day as, as a situation would come up, I could knock on either either door and go in there and they give me an hour all the time. Like yeah. it was just, you know, exposure to what they were doing and letting me come in and and just um, proximity to what they were doing. And uh, so just, I, you know, I don't even like the phrase doing life together, but you know, that's mm -hmm. kind of what it, what it seemed like is we were sure. together all day, every day. And just, I was learning from them the whole, the whole time. Well, that's what Jesus did. I mean, he had those, he had those men with him all the time and, and he gave them some assignments and then he gave them some feedback and gave them more assignments and, yep. and he, he left and they took, they just did the work. Well, let me, let me tell you this too. The, a big thing that they did when they saw the Lord's calling on my life. And I told him, I said, I think I want to go to seminary. Uh, our, our pastor, uh, Phil West, who's still in Georgia, he went before the church and he said, he said, we see this calling on Wes's life. We need to pay for his seminary. And on that night, they, they voted uh, to put me through seminary and they, they paid for every dime of it. They paid for my books. Um, I had an opportunity to, to, uh, to study in Germany and Switzerland for a couple of weeks for the, the Reformation. And they sent me on that. I had an opportunity to go to, uh, to Israel and they, they sent me in, on that and, and paid, paid for it. Uh, I mean, they just really took an interest in it. And you know what's funny? Uh, it's not funny. When he stood before the church, he said, we need to invest in West. One day, he's going to pastor a church just like this one, which well, is, is what I do right now. Yeah. Uh, and so, by the way, here at the church, when we have a young staff member, uh, we cover their seminary. So just like I was invested in, we do the exact same thing. That's so good because it's, you know, you have a business background and, and I, I do as well. Sometimes you can just think about the bottom line and the, 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 the uh, return on your investment. And there is a return on the investment you're describing. It's just not a return that's coming directly back to that church at that mm -hmm. moment. There's a kingdom return and ultimately a heavenly that's one. Right. So what a, what, a, what a great lesson. Well, Wes, you were just recently selected. In fact, recently as of yesterday, in fact, less than 24 hours ago, that's right. you were selected as the, the pre next president, the current president of the Kentucky Baptist Convention. So congratulations Thank to you. you. Your wife was there with you and a couple of men from the, the church. Your staff members were there. I'm, man, I'm excited. Uh, what, what do you, so what are your thoughts on being president of KBC? I mean, obviously, I mean, you, you know me well. I'm, I'm honored. Um, I'm, I'm humbled by it. I really, I really don't feel worthy to be in that spot. I don't know that I feel, I feel adequate. Uh, but I, I have a true sense of excitement. I mean, I, I think, I, I really believe, or I don't think I would do this, but I, I really believe that 2021 can be a great year for us. Uh, as a convention, as individual churches, I mean, I, I really feel like we could do a lot for the Lord, or the Lord could use us in a mighty way in 2021. So I'm excited to serve and just uh, to help in any way that I can. Well, I mean, I just affirm what an incredible choice Kentucky Baptist made in putting you in that in that slot. Chad Fugit did an excellent job as KBC yeah. president during the the pandemic year 19, uh, 2019-2020, and, and you will as well. So you you knew you were going to be recommended or nominated for the role. Of course, others could have been, and, and no other uh, nominations came. So you've had some time to think about it and prepare that if you were chosen, what would you do? And one of the things I've heard you mention is the possibility of, um, of um, an initiative or an effort uh, that follows on the heels of the gospel to every home called Re Revival in Every Church. Is that is that correct? See, see, absolutely. Here's yeah, what I was like. Go ahead. Now, tell us a little bit about that. Well, to me, it's interesting that that would be what the Lord would put on my on my heart, because the truth is we haven't had too many revivals. In fact, I don't know that we've actually had a revival in nine and a half years that I've been here at First Baptist Mayfield. And so for the Lord to put that on my heart to me is pretty unique. But as I knew I was going to be nominated, 
And I love the initiative, the gospel to every home. I mean, I love that. And then I feel like what a, a great compliment to go with that is let's have revival in every church. So the gospel to every home, revival in every in every church. And so as I kept praying about it, why, why not? Why not ask every single Kentucky Baptist church to have a revival at some point in 2021? Uh, if you don't mind, let me, I've already thought through this. There, there's yeah. going to be some pastor out there that hears this and they're going to say, just like I've said before from the pulpit, well, you can't just schedule a revival. You know, I, I've heard, I've heard great preachers say, you know, you can't just put it on the schedule and have a revival. Well, everybody's going to say amen to that. I got it. So let's do what it takes to have revival. I mean, let's spend some time in prayer. Let's fast. I'm, I may, I may ask the whole convention. I've, I've asked him one time when we were searching for you. Uh, I asked the convention to fast. Maybe we'll fast again, just praying for the Lord to give us revival. But let's prepare for it and let's pray for it and let's plan for it. And let's I mean, let's get ready all through the beginning of 2021. The pandemic will probably still be, you know, pretty, pretty heavy on us. But maybe in the fall, maybe, you know, after summer, maybe we could all start scheduling some some revivals. And uh, I, I've still ha I've had one one person say, you know, I'm just not I'm not for revivals. I'm like, well, OK, OK, well, how about this then? How about you schedule a few services consecutive where where you're trying your best to invite lost people? And your goal when they get there is to preach the gospel in hopes that they repent from their sin and trust the Lord. How does that sound? And yeah. maybe that sounds better. I don't I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, just not call it revival. Wes, I, I love it. I mean, I've preached a lot of revivals and honestly, I've never, I've really never been part of a bad one. And they, they, they always do some good. I mean, so you've got, you've got preaching of the gospel and you've got singing and you've, you've got coming together for fellowship. That's just a good combination and something good is bound to, bound to come of it. And I would like, I would like all of the revivalists, the evangelists in Kentucky, I would like them to be worn out by the yeah. end of the year. Yeah, that's excellent. So one of the one of the needs that we have in in Kentucky is to recognize the the gift of the of the vocational evangelist or the gift of the evangelist to the church. Ephesians Ephesians uh, four, uh, ten eleven, and and recognizing that that role because man, there just aren't there aren't that many, and yet I think there are probably more that could be recognized. So thank you for doing it, and uh, we look forward to partnering with you on on getting the word out and just seeing what seeing what what God does. Hey, let's talk about your ministry. So you you are pastor of First Baptist Church, Bayfield, Kentucky. That's the church where you grew up. Is that right? That's right. Born and raised here until I was 18, then went away to college. Yep. How did the how did the the assignment or the calling to pastor that church come to you? So, after I was in ministry, um, and I would come home from Georgia, I would come to Mayfield around Christmas time um, to spend Christmas with my family. The church started asking me to preach one sermon. Uh, just every time I would come home. So once a year I would, I would preach. Well, one, the last time that they did that, they were, they were without a pastor. Um, and we even, we even talked about it. We were in Georgia. I was pastoring at First Baptist in, in Homerville, Georgia, a great church. And, and I would not have come to fill the pulpit that day if we thought they were looking at us at all. That wasn't part of the plan. I was simply coming to preach like I had in years past. And when I came to the, the committee came and talked to me after that and said, would you would you consider being our, our pastor here at First Mayfield? Yeah. And, and so you said you said, yes, I'll consider. I was very concerned about it. You know, I'm the hometown. I'm the hometown boy and and just concerned about how that would how that would look. And they were, too. You know, a, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. And uh, so I was I, I thought through that and they thought through that. And uh, this was my response to that exact question, uh, you know. I said, well, I think Jesus had some issues because he was claiming to be the Christ. Yeah. So I will never claim to be the Christ. That's, that's right. That's what we'll do. And I think we'll be OK. Wes, describe the church. Uh, just how, how were things when you came as, as pastor? You know, they had just gotten through a very short tenured pastor. So I think the church as a whole was kind of in a, a difficult, difficult place. Uh, the facility was in uh, in, in rough shape. Um, and the staff, uh, a good portion, I would think 70% plus uh, was not here. And, and so uh, I had to put that in, in, in place. So, you know, in the early stages of 2011, I would say it was kind of a difficult time for the church. Yeah. And First Mayfield has an incredible history. They do. 
They do. Some, some really strong ministries have happened. So you kind of had a rebuilding ministry. If I'm, I mean, I've observed your work from the time you've been there. I, I started with KBC in 2012 and met you soon after you had arrived. Um, so you all collect an annual offering. Is it around this time of year? It is usually about August. Okay. So it's is a is it a harvest offering or what do you what do you refer to the offering? We call it a Founders Day offering. Uh, okay. The church is actually founded in in July, but we have it in August to get us through the summer. So maybe attendance will be a little bit better. Okay. We have a, a one time a year offering. It's a it's, it's a sacrificial offering, and uh, we used to set a goal seventy thousand, eighty thousand, something like that. But we just stopped setting a financial goal and said the goal uh, is to give sacrificially. And just if it's not a second, if it doesn't change the way you live temporarily, don't call it a sacrifice. I mean, it, it's it's a sacrifice. And so we typically take in anywhere from eighty to one hundred thousand dollars a year uh, on Founders Day. It's for a project or it's for a specific ministry or it's, there's always an intended purpose behind it. And so a congregation of about how many how many people? Well, before COVID, we were running three forty, three fifty, somewhere in there. Okay, and so that's a that's a strong sacrificial. Yeah. So, in fact, I, one year you collected the offering for church planting. If I'm not mistaken, it was it was more than a hundred thousand, wasn't it? I think it came in total that that year at about one hundred eighteen thousand. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was close to one hundred one hundred twenty. So one of the projects that you have tackled since you've been there, I think you used this offering and the church prepared for it, was remodeling this the student area of the church's ministry. Uh, can I describe for folks a little bit the, the the buildings at First Baptist Mayfield? There's more than one building. Kind of some of the age of them and some of the uh, the architecture. Yeah, so we we're on we're on. Uh, there's a street in between our facility. Um, you know, the education side that I'm sitting on right now has our our children's floor, our, our children's ministry, our nursery, our offices, our gym. On the other side of the street is our sanctuary and some education space. Uh, and uh, and basically, when I got here in 2011, I think every area of the church was in disrepair. I think that's fair to say. In fact, you know, it's. I think it's one of the reasons that God called me here, because I think if somebody else had come in and said, I got to be honest, the facility looks terrible, you know, I, I think they would have been run out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was able to come in and say, I grew up here. Uh, we should be doing this better like this. This looks really, really, this hadn't changed since I've been here. And that was 16 years ago. Come on, you know. Um, and so at age, so I, I left, you know, I left when I was 18, came back when I was 34. And and so from day one, we started renovating and we renovated the nursery first. And then we renovated uh, the children's, actually no, the youth area, then the children's area. And uh, trying to send a message that we are, we're trying to prepare our facility for families and to minister to your children. Parents care deeply about that. Uh, and so we, uh, yeah, we started a renovation process, I think in 2012, and we haven't stopped since. Yeah, that's, that's and, and I'm sure there's still plenty to do. Incredible yeah. buildings, but they just need a lot of attention. And it's not about the building. The building's a tool to that's reach right. people and serve, serve people. Wes, I was intrigued by the way you led the congregation to understand the need to remodel the student area. Um, Explain a little bit of a couple of things you did and how folks were able to kind of get on board and see that need and want to give sacrificially for it. Okay, so our youth area, which is on the third floor across the street, um, it became the worst area in the whole church. I mean, people would say, where are we going to store this? I just put it up there in the youth area. Just put it up there. And people would, I mean, it was terrible. I mean, it was just terrible. disrepair, nothing worked right, looked, it just looked horrendous to me. Uh, I mean, I actually, this, this may sound crazy, as I walked through the facility in 2011, I wept, like I cried, yeah. because it looked that bad. So I, I, it's not all about a facility, I get that. Right. But I think we're also called to be stewards of what the Lord has blessed us with, and we have this facility, and we can't let it go. And and so I showed that to the church. I started showing pictures on the screen of cracks and stains and just terrible looking spots. And I'd say, anybody know where this is? Everybody's like, no, where in the world is that? You know, and I would show them, I mean, I had 20 pictures, things that just, you would never be okay with in your house, never. And, and then I would, I'd even point at them and say, hey, would, if this was in your house, would you fix that? Yes, you would, I know you would. You know, and I just, I would show them the, and I finally said, this is where our youth are hanging out every Sunday and every Wednesday. And this can't be, this can't be. And so we started a process of planning our youth pastor, Paul Wilkerson, and his wife, and 
and some some other key members were very involved in designing it and coming up with it. And we have we we turned the worst space in the church into the very best. It's incredible. It's, I mean, it's incredible. Everybody visits your facility. They, they need to go see the, the youth space. And Wes, you are in no way being critical of the members of, of that church and saying the, the, the youth area was in disrepair. I mean, you, man, you love the congregation. They obviously love you. You, you. you defend them to the death, but they just, it just over neglect over a period of time. And so an example that I used um, <laughs> to this day, I've got a spot on my ceiling that when I first moved into the house that we live in, that spot really bothered me. And and then a week later, it sort of bothered me. And then a couple of weeks later, I didn't even notice it. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened with another great people. In fact, they're so good. They they saw the need after I showed it to them and said, let's take care of it. Yeah. And everybody, awesome. I mean, it, it was no controversy at all. Everybody stepped up and said, hey, let's let's make this right. And so it is it's a tremendous space. And Wes, it is so much not about the building. We can meet any space, anywhere, and do the ministry. But if the Lord's entrusted us with a facility, we need to take care of it, as you have already already said. But man, you just described exactly what happens, and not only in our church buildings, but also in the way that we just the way we do ministry. Once you're part of the family, you just begin to not notice things anymore. And some things we kind of we just kind of intentionally ignore them. I remember you invited me to come over and give some first impressions. I was your regional consultant for a while. And um, I shared with you that I, I think you need to get your signage figured out. And and um, you had a lot of fun with that. So when we showed up to talk about your signage, you actually had a sign for me out in the parking lot, like Todd, turn here. And then when I got in the building, you said, Todd, turn here. So you really took the signage thing seriously, trying to give direction to folks. Yeah, we had a good time with that. We had signs everywhere for Todd saying, go this way and come over here. And anyway, it was it was kind of fun. Wes, one year I got to, uh, you invited me to preach during your 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 founder's offering, and the offering was going toward church planting, Okay. and you had a family leaving the church, I think at that time, to go to maybe Arizona. That's right. So what has happened since then with, with what was collected at that time, and how's that money been invested in church planting? So he was my associate pastor, uh, Rick Downing, and, uh, and we sent him to Arizona to help chant, uh, plant churches among Native Americans on the TO reservation. He was working with uh, North American Mission Board missionary, Eric Gibbs, who's still there and doing a great job. And we basically took up 100,000 of that offering. We divided it over five years. So 20,000 a year for five years, which basically raised about half of his support that was needed to keep him on the field. It just allowed him to only raise 20,000 a year instead of having to raise 40. And we learned a couple things. We uh, we learned that it's very difficult, number one, to plant churches anywhere. Uh, it's incredibly difficult, though, to plant churches on a Native American reservation. Um, even even with Eric Gibbs, who's incredibly talented and gifted in that in that area. So we've had a lot of challenges there and it really hasn't worked out the way that we that we planned. Like I can't point to three or four churches that we planted. But here's here's what happened. I think this is neat. Here's how the Lord used that. Our desire initially was to, you know, plant some churches with Rick moving out there. But now Rick is the senior pastor at First Baptist Church of Arizona City, which is just outside the reservation. And so he's there now full time permanently on site, still doing the ministry on the reservation, but as a as a senior pastor and still working with Eric Gibbs. And and so that's how the Lord used used our faithfulness, I think, was to get him out there and get him permanently on the field. Well, you all stood behind him and you sent him out from your church and gave him the support and encouragement he needed and to the Lord open the next the next door. That's a wonderful story. Uh, Wes, you, you've also led the church to increase their cooperative program giving since you since you've been there. So tell us uh, where were they? Where are they now? And, and why? Why was that important to you as a pastor? So when I got here in 2011, they were giving just a hair over four percent. What they had done is they had basically set a dollar amount. Uh, 40,000 a year. The budget here is real close to a million. Uh, and so they, they'd set the budget at 40,000, no matter what they took in, 40,000 was what they were going to give to CP. And, uh, and when I, when I came in, um, just recognized that immediately as kind of a low number in my humble opinion and said, well, let's, let's start making some changes to this. And we had to do some education on the cooperative program, but not, not to the whole church. There was a portion of the church that got it already. Mm-hmm. Didn't, didn't like the 4% number were excited to get behind it with me. And, and so as we started, in fact, what I, what I did, I said, 
in a, in a sermon one time, I said, you know what would be awesome to have? Like what we really need. I wish somebody would do this. I don't, I don't get it. Is we need like a fund, like this fund that would help us with our seminaries. I mean, preparing the future preachers. Why not put together a fund that would do that? And I tell you what would be awesome is if we had this fund that would get missionaries out there. And how about if it did it both, you know, in North America and all across the world? I had, I had amens out there. Amen. Let's put together a fund. Let's put together something we can all contribute towards and that I mean, it, it can just help us in so many different different ways. And I listed I listed other ways that it, that it helps, you know, and helping our what, what if we found a way to support our, our state conventions to where they could. Anyway, I went through this whole 20 minute spill. What if? And then finally, I said, ladies and gentlemen, I've got great news for you today. We have that. And uh, and so anyway, that was part of, of getting uh, that's my- great. Man. That's that's super. That's super creative because that's exactly what happened in, you know, 19 years ago when when cooperative program began is that folks said, look, we're, we're having all these folks come in and they all need funding and we believe in what they're doing, but we can't keep funding all these individuals. We, we need a fund and the cooperative program was, was developed. And so we started at, we went from four to 6% overnight, basically. Uh, and by the way, that was part of my calling here is when I saw that, I said, listen, I, I do feel called to come, but understand that if I come as the pastor, we're going to increase cooperative program. Yeah. That's just part of me. And uh, they understood that 100%. We went from six, then I think to seven in a year. And then once we got to seven, I think we started doing a half percent a year. And then when we got to a certain number, we started doing a quarter percent just because it, it becomes more challenging on your budget. Sure. And now we're at 8.75. So we've more than doubled, uh, you know, which means we're giving over over 80,000 a year to the cooperative program, which I think is is an incredible investment. Well, on behalf of all those missionaries, the seminary students, your the foster care, the disaster relief, right. the church planters, and your state mission board staff, thank you, Wes, and thank you, First Baptist Mayfield, for your investment in ministry. And so, folks could, you know, kind of crassly say that that you guys are just making it all about the about the money. I think a better thought is regarding cooperative program that we protect things that are valuable to us. That's why we have insurance, why we have locks on our doors, why some folks, uh, homeowners, have 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 weapons. We protect things that are valuable. The cooperative program is valuable. It's a valuable resource to okay. fund ministry and missions at home and around the world. So thank you for your support for it. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Hey, you, you have an excellent staff team. A couple of your guys were with you yesterday in, in Owensboro. What do you look for in a potential staff member? If you're trying to hire somebody, you have a position open. What are some things that are that are on your mind? Mainly people that like me. <laughs> hey, that's so the chemistry is important, right? <laughs> yeah. So we, we do look for, for chemistry. There's there's no doubt. The guys that I serve with here, um, they they become in a in a you know in a ministry context. I mean, they're they're my ministry friends. Like we 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 hang out and talk every single day. We text behind the scenes. I love them. I, as far as I know, they love me. You know, yeah. and that's who I confide in. They they know me the best. I can be my most vulnerable ar- around them. Uh, I can ask them sincere questions, and over time, they've they've come to where they give me really good feedback and they know they can do that without like a threat on their job. Everybody knows that They're, they've got job security here. Tell me the truth. Like what's, what's, what's going on. And so we do look for chemistry. I think I look for, uh, of course, obviously competency, the, the main C's that everybody looks for, you know, are you competent at, at what you are doing? But I think maybe the biggest one of all is character, just who you are as a, as a person. Um, and I want to know if they can, if they can grow in what they're doing. I, look, I really look for that. Can you, uh, you know, become more knowledgeable and and change and adapt uh, in in each situation. And so, um, but 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 character and chemistry. I mean, you know, another big thing for us is I think pretty much everybody we have on staff they are very familiar with Western Kentucky. They're either from Graves County or close by, uh, and they know who we are and they know what we do and they know the issues and. Uh, and uh, well, I say, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that's another C. So you, you can add context to the mix. It's not impossible for someone else to come in from outside and be there, but they sure have a leg up if they're if they're familiar with the lay of the land. Yeah, and you know, and the far as knowing more and, and learning more, I've heard that one called capacity, uh-huh. and you have the capacity to continue to uh, to grow. But also, I think a big a big deal in ministry is we talk about this all the time. We we are here to love and serve our people. And so if you're not a people person, if you don't like people, if 
that sounds weird for ministry, doesn't it? But you know, <laughs> if you don't really enjoy being around people and just loving people, and I mean, you 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 wouldn't be okay here, you know. Uh, are you saying an introvert can't be successful in ministry? No, I think an introvert can still like people because, <laughs> you know, I think there's times just in, in my in my own life, I've got both. There's times where I'm more extrovert in the right context, but there's times where I've got to get away and, and have some alone time. So, I, you know, no, I think introverts can actually do really well, especially like in a small group Bible study. And uh, I mean, they can certainly have very meaningful uh, relationships here. In the church, no, no doubt. But you got Jesus, Jesus gives us that capacity when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside an introvert or an extrovert. That's right. Uh, he brings the capacity to love, love people and, and do what he calls us to do. Amen. Hey, let's uh, let me reintroduce here. And I want to get to some more, more questions for you. So we're with Dr. Wes Fowler, who is pastor of First Baptist Church, Mayfield, Kentucky, and the newly elected president of the Kentucky Baptist Convention. So, Wes, this is day one of your presidency. Uh, Kentucky Baptist Convention is in phase one of an initiative called the Gospel to Every Home, and that is an effort to partner with 2,360 Kentucky Baptist churches, 69 local uh, associations, to get the gospel, the good news, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus to 1,728,681 homes in Kentucky. This is leadership lessons, and it's about two guys talking with the goal of something being said that might encourage a pastor, inspire, instruct, or, or just help him to lead better. We've been talking about church rebuilding, and I want to talk about leadership. But before I do, what do you do for fun? What do I do for, for fun? Uh, well, I like to, to cycle a little bit. I've got a couple of bikes. I know you do as well. So Dude, I, like, I love it. Yeah, I like to ride bikes. Uh, I run sometimes. I don't like running as much as I like cycling. I've done hey, a few. Yeah, Wes, my daughter and I ride bikes together, and every time I see some runners, I say, I sure wish those guys had a bicycle. I know, I know. It's just not as enjoyable to me. I, I, like, <laughs> I like cycling a lot better. I, I run and swim a little bit. Well, I've done some of the shorter triathlons. I, I, enjoy, I enjoy, I can't do the, the larger ones, but I like the, the called sprints. I, I, like, I like those. Uh, of course, I do the Rubik's Cube with, with, with Brax a little bit. I play some guitar on the side. Nothing, nothing great there, uh, but really just hanging out with the family. That's probably a good one. How long, how long have you played a guitar? Since I was a kid. Really? Yeah, my, my, my dad played back when I was a kid, and I learned to play back then, so I've been playing for a while. If, what kind of music do you like to play? All across all across the spectrum. Yeah. Mainly, mainly hip-hop. No, really? I'm just, yeah. I'm totally <laughs> I'm totally kidding. I saw your, saw your daughter watching you play the other day. You had a, you had a Facebook post, and, and she was watching you play guitar. Um, but it's like country music songs, Johnny Cash songs, gospel songs. Just, I mean, can you actually make can you actually make a sound where I would say, I think I recognize that song. So, you know, if you want just some honesty from me, because you know, growing up, I obviously was not a, a a pastor, but I learned I learned a whole lot of Garth Brooks. Okay. Um, but then also on the other side, growing up, as you're learning guitar, I mean, I can, you know, you learn Metallica and you learn some other things like like that. Uh, everybody learns smoke on the water. It seems like it's the first so, song everybody every kid learns on a guitar. <laughs> did you learn that one? No, I did not. Let's talk about my Let's talk about leadership. So, Wes, at, at what age or how did you? When did you first kind of discover that maybe you had some leadership ability or that maybe you were a leader? How did that? How did that start showing up in your life? Okay, I uh, I think. I think maybe the best answer to that is when I when I was just out of college. This is before I finished my degree. I, I'd gone two years of school, didn't feel like school was for me at that point in life, and I started working in the uh, in the retail world uh, for Hibbit Sports, and and for whatever reason they were they were in a growth phase, and the leadership there saw something in me that I didn't I didn't even see, and uh, a lady by the name of Kathy Pryor really took an interest in me. She was the a vice president of operations. Another vice president, Scott Nettles, took an interest in me. The president, Mickey Newsom of, of Hibbit Sports, they just saw something in me that I didn't see. And they started trusting me with more and more responsibility. I was 22 years old. And then all of a sudden, I think at age 23, I was a district manager. And because of what they trusted me with, I felt like I better do good. Like I better step up. It's time to grow up. It is you know, they have, they have really put this trust in me to do this well, and I don't want to let them down. And so that's kind of where leadership, I think, where I started thinking about it and getting into it. So it seems like the folks recognize leadership in, in other people. You mentioned the pastors at the church you were part of, that yeah. they also invested 
in you. So if, if you're, if you, um, what are some things that you might see in someone at church, your pastor, you want to invest in young, in young men or older men or uh, anyone at all in terms of developing leaders, what might be something that would make you think this is a guy I ought to look at a little, a little more? Yeah. Well, I, I think certainly about, you know, spiritual disciplines and, and how, how somebody's in the word and in prayer and there's their walk with the Lord. I think that would have to be first. I look at how, how someone communicates. I think as leaders, we have to be very uh, precise in what we communicate and how we communicate and gentleness and grace in communication, I think is important in a, in a leader. Um, but I, I think, you know, a big thing that we look for here is I look for somebody who does something with, with excellence. Um, I, I watch how they just how they work in different, different scenarios. And I, to me in ministry, you have to do things with with excellence um and that's a that's a really big deal to me uh if i if i could give you one one example there that this story has stuck with me my whole life do i do i have time to tell you just a quick story absolutely let's hear it um i I played tennis in college for a little bit and i remember my my first tennis match that i didn't play well um i mean i got beat um went up to my coach and said i'm sorry i just didn't play good today and he put his arm around me and i thought he was going to like console me and say it's okay, Wes. That's what they did in high school. It's okay. No, no big deal. And he, he put his arm around me and he said, he said, Wes, here's just what I want you to know is you're in college now and you're on scholarship. So you're basically getting paid to play tennis. He said, you can't have any more bad days. And just stopped and looked at me. He said, here's the truth. You can have great days. You can have medium days, but you can't have any more bad days. Okay. And I'm like, okay. He said, there's somebody that wants your spot coming up right behind you. I'm like, well, thank you. Uh, appreciate the encouragement. But I, I take that here with what we do here. And I, the guys here know this and the ladies do as well, that we can have great days. I like it when we have great days. And I mean, sometimes we have a medium day, but we're called to a high standard. We can't have a bad day. Like we no, we do what we do and we do it well. And so I come back to that excellence point, point is I want to see somebody who obviously is in the word and prayer and obviously somebody that can communicate well with grace and with patience and with love but also they have a desire to do something really, really well. All right. So let me, let me come challenge you a little bit on what you just said, because you are, you're a, you're a, a gracious person. You are a gentle leader and a kind person and everybody has a bad day. I mean, even, even things that we mean to go well, don't go well. You, you have some, I, I think I have more than the average person. I, I make up for folks that don't have quite as many yep. sometimes, but people on your staff are going to have a bad day. Something's just not going to go right even though they tried really hard. So what do you do when, when, when something just really does not go well? Everybody here would know exactly what I would do. Um, they're fired. No, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. When, when, uh, you know, when somebody makes a, a mistake here and we all know that they all know what the goal is, they all know what my desire is. And I think everybody here would know that there's going to be grace because when I make a, a mistake or when I don't preach as well as what I'd like to, or when something just totally flops, I know that I've got grace and I've been shown grace. And so, no, we, we know that bad day's coming. It's just not something that we accept as normal. You know, we, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. What you're saying. Don't, don't let yourself off the hook when things don't go well. Don't beat yourself up over every little mistake, but, but also don't just, just allow these things to, to, to carry on. Yeah. I mean, that creates kind of a mediocrity and we, we all want to do better than that. Amen. Yeah. So Wes, um, let's talk about one of those bad days. So have you, what's something that you have tried as a leader, a church leader that just, just didn't go the way you, you wished it, you wished it would have. I mean, I go back to when we sent, uh, Rick to, to Arizona. I mean, we really hyped that up as man, we're going there and we're going to plant churches among the Native Americans. And I mean, we're going to plant a church this year and hopefully next year in a different, you know, little area of the reservation. And I mean, we, we had the towns, we know the names of these little villages and I've been to those villages and they're really out in the middle of nowhere in Arizona, but there's beautiful people that, 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 that live there. We, we had this plan. And then of course, a year later, when we're trying to give our update to be the pastor who had such a passion behind this to say, well, we don't, we don't have a church. Yeah, we, we haven't planted one. And on year two, we haven't planted one. I know you gave over $100,000 for this. I get it. I know that we sent a staff member out there. I, I get it. But we, we, haven't, uh, we haven't done that. So that did not feel 
all that good. Um, and actually still doesn't feel great. But I know sure. in the Lord's providence, I and mean, this is where we, we had to end. We didn't start here. It started kind of as a disappointment. Like, what went wrong? And then it kind of went to, this is the Lord's will. This is this is his providence to get Rick out there. Now he's the pastor of a church. But I would I would say that's probably a, a really good one where something did not go at all. Uh, something very expensive that, that did not go like we planned. Well, the church can still view it as a win because you you invested in him. He's a good man. You got him on the mission field, and he's and it sounds like he's right where he needs to be. And that would have been difficult to happen. I, I mean, I remember that, that that day I was there. I think it was his last Sunday with you all, and he is much loved by that that church. So my guess is they've accepted that under the providence of God. Um, hey, I read this when we were talking about mistakes. Jimmy Draper has written a book. You may have a copy of it. I think it says, uh, "Don't quit until you're finished," or "Don't quit before you finish." But he said this about mistakes, and it really, it really stuck with me. He said that um, when someone makes a mistake, that he, he, he'll go to them and he'll say, did, "Did you mean to do that? <laughs> did you mean to make that mistake?" And they'll say, "Well, no, obviously not." He'll say, "Well, I, I didn't think you did, and you're not going to do it again, are you?" <laughs> well, no, of course not. Okay, good. Let's 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 move on. I mean, what a great way of taking the pressure off something. And yet, acknowledging this didn't, this didn't, this didn't go the way we we intended. Yeah. Hey, Wes. So you're you're a leader, and and God makes all of us different. We all have different strengths and weaknesses that we bring to a leadership scenario. What are a couple of leadership challenges for you? What's what's difficult for you when it comes to trying to to lead people? Yeah. So I I would think like I love being involved in the conversations on the on the vision, on the larger issues like where are we going to go and. What's the overall plan for the next year, for the next two years? Or, um, and then I think I'm I'm okay in the medium conversation. I like it once we get down a little bit more narrow and we're talking about more specifics. I enjoy that. I enjoy being at the table for for that for leadership purposes. Uh, but I can tell you this: I I do not enjoy at all being at the table when the fine details are being discussed. It it actually drives me nuts. Like somebody will. Say, what color napkins should we have? I don't care. I I mean, I don't care at all. I just know that we need napkins. I don't care what kind of forks. I just know that we need forks. And, I, and there's some people that just thrive on the details, like the tiniest minutia. And I like the larger. I like the medium. But, man, the, the fine details uh, I'm not so big on. But the staff here would tell you this. Here's what they make fun of me. And they say, yes, Wes doesn't like you know being a part of that conversation, but he does enjoy, once we make the decision, he likes coming in and giving, you know, giving my opinion. Oh, <laughs> how about that? Well, it sounds like they know you well. What about criticism? Have you have you had to receive any criticism since you've been serving there as pastor? And how does how do you how do you handle it when folks are are uh, openly critical or even privately critical? Yeah, I don't know of a pastor that hasn't received some some criticism. Uh, and I've, I've I've received some over the years for for sure. I mean, I, I always consider the source. You know, I mean, I, I consider the, the person telling me, I think I take it best from my staff because most of them have been here for, for years. I mean, my associate pastor has been here for going on nine years. My my youth pastor has been here for, I think, seven or eight years now. And, and uh, secretaries, I got one secretary that's been here 65 years. So wow. she was actually here when I was a kid. And then oh. and now she's still here. And then I've got uh, Jan, who's been here nine years with me. And, and so those who work with me every day and know me best, uh, I think I receive it pretty well from them. And our key leaders here who know me best, I think I receive it pretty well from uh, from them as well. So, uh, you know, from those who don't know me well or don't really have good intentions, I, I probably I probably tend to ignore that a little bit. Yeah. Or try to. Sometimes it's hard to ignore. Sometimes it just kind of keeps coming up and stays on your mind. There's no doubt. There's no yeah. doubt. So, Wes, what has um, what's something that God has used to shape you as a, a leader? So you you've no doubt grown since you've been serving as pastor at First Baptist Mayfield. You're 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 not the same person leadership wise that you were eight or nine years ago. Anything in particular where you saw some some real leadership growth take place in your life? Any event or anything that happened? So I think uh, going back a few years, um, when I pastored my my first pastorate where I was the senior pastor was First Baptist Homerville and Homerville, Georgia. It's between Valdosta and Waycross. And they they had just gone through a church split. Mm. 
and that was my very first church to pastor. And I don't think I knew exactly what all that was going to involve. But anyone listening who's been through a church split, that is just incredibly difficult and tender and tears were shed on a regular basis and and people were in the office every day. And I think in that moment, I mean, I understood the importance of being a shepherd and of being a pastor and where it's not just about I mean, what you do behind the pulpit. It's it's visiting in homes and trying to be a peacemaker and trying to uh, make sure God gets the glory for what we do and and just seeing healing take place. And so that that event, that that church, those people, they they helped shape me big time. I mean, I guess from, from that experience, if you were talking to a pastor or an interim pastor who's about to walk into a split situation, what what counsel from your experience would you give? If you had to give him two or three points of, of and he was open to advice, what yeah. would you say? Well, I mean, I, I just met with the people often. I let them talk as long as they want to. I, I didn't say it's time to get over this and move on. I mean, I think for over a year, we probably talked about it weekly for sure, maybe daily. I mean, somebody would come in and say, I just got to talk about this. And maybe their family had split. Maybe they stayed at at First Baptist Homerville and their grandkids were now at the church split or so that 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 happened. And and so we kind of healed on their timetable and I was very patient and we talked about it as much as they wanted to. And I I think it's about giving them time and patience and love. And I cried with them when they were crying and I laughed with them when they were laughing. And it's just kind of being there for them and being very patient. It says a lot about you that you were willing to take that approach and go at the pace that they that they needed. You can't put grief on a timetable or grief recovery and, and a yeah. split is a is a grief. It's a fracture in the life of a church. Hey, any leadership lesson? You mentioned the the, the one with the um, and maybe we've covered it. If, if so, we'll, we can move on. Any leadership lesson that you've kind of learned the hard way that uh, something that you learned and it was difficult, but it really stuck with you on the other side of it? I, yeah, I think there's one maybe that I'm I still have to learn. You know, I'm, I'm in the process of learning, but it's become crystal clear over the years. That would be one is is believe it or not, Todd. I, I don't even want to say it. I'm not sure if I should say that loud because somebody will record this part and give it back to me. But but I've I've learned that I'm not always right. Oh, listen, uh, it's going to be a highlight from this <laughs> from this episode. Well, and and here's 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 the conversation that's 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 had there. Sometimes I joke about about myself. And somebody will say, you know, Wes, you think you're always right. And I'll say, well, of course I think I'm always right, or I wouldn't have said what I said. I thought it was right. You know, if you show me someone who thinks they're always wrong, and I'll show you someone who just needs to be quiet. You know what I mean? Why would you, why would you, you think you're always wrong? Why would you talk? And so, of course, I think I'm always right. But then I learn, I learn afterwards that sometimes I'm not. Yeah. And and you know that's a difficult moment, and I hope my wife does not watch this. Is what I'm really hoping. Listen, we're gonna we're gonna send it to her. Hey, um, man, transparency is huge in leadership and leadership development. And uh, we heard Dr. York yesterday or Monday at the pastors' conference. He had some really helpful things to to say, as did others. But when we can admit our shortcomings and and failures, it's really good for people to get to hear it because they know it. I mean, they know they know you're not always right. Yeah. But but for us to for us to admit it. You know, you know what what Dan Sumlin says? This is what this is what Dan says that I I never forgot him saying this or I won't forget it. And I I use it as he says, it's okay for us to start by saying the wrong thing as long as we end up with the right thing. That's exactly right. And I like that. Yeah. Most of our conversations, we don't bring everything to the table. Somebody else has some input that we hadn't thought about. And we need to be humble enough to to let our let our our thoughts and sometimes direction be shaped by the input of input of others. So you brought Dan into the conversation. Dan Dan made a reference to you when he was nominating you for um, for president. He called you a, a, a very challenging name. He, do, do, you know, do you want to get even with him? Do you want to say something back here? Or are you going to let it go? I mean, I just he called me ugly, didn't he? He did. He said, "Help me elect elect this ugly man for." And I mean, Wes, you're not an ugly guy. Wow. I'm sure your wife was offended. Wow. <laughs> now, I, I won't get back at him right now. I will save that for a date later. There'll be a chance. Hey, Dan, Dan asked this question. So whenever he's interviewing a potential staff member, he always asks him, have you, have you been through the fire? And what did you, what'd you do about it? So mm-hmm. how would you answer that question if Dan were, were to ask you that? Yeah, well, I mean, so my, my immediate mindset would go back to the, the, the church split when I was kind of put right in the middle of, of chaos. I mean, it just happened a few months ago. And I, I think, I think what you what you do right in the middle of a fire is you keep moving forward. I mean, you you take the next step. 
every single day. You you keep coming in and you keep making the phone calls and one one will go bad. Well, you keep making the the next one. You just don't stop. You you keep you keep going. You keep persevering through it. You keep showing up. I mean, showing up in that situation is probably half the battle. And and you just keep keep ministering. I mean, that's what we're that's what we're called to do. So I know that uh, again, I'm referencing Dan. Dan's been a, a an influence in your life as has yeah. been in lots of others. What are a couple of things you've learned from um, from Brother Dan Summerlin? So Dan and I would go out to uh, to eat on a regular basis, and we just talk about really. He and I talk a lot about a larger church strategy of how to promote something or how to communicate something, or or how to put the pieces of a puzzle together in the in the church context and what might come up, what could potentially happen here, how could this be perceived, you know, what's somebody else going to think about this. He helps me view all those peripheral matters uh, that help in order to accomplish the goal that I want to accomplish. And he kind of helps me put all, the, all that together and see it right. Well, he's, he's a blessing. So Wes, before our time is finished, we didn't get to a foster care and adoption, oh, but yeah. foster care and adoption have, have been part of, of you, and, you and Tara's life together. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So we, we started uh, uh, fostering several years ago, and uh, now we have, have adopted um, uh, Pierre, who was placed with us, goodness, I think about three years ago, maybe. I, well, no, he's five, so it was a little bit over two years ago. And uh, what, what I would say there is I think there is a great need for foster parents, and I know there's a, a need for the kids to have, have a good, godly, stable home. And one thing I would say, if we got a few minutes here, just a couple, would, would be this. I was unsure if we should get involved with it. Like, I I told Dr. Chitwood, he and I were talking one day, and uh, and I said, because I, I knew that he was a foster parent, and I said, I said, Paul, I just don't know if we could do it. You know, I don't know that if, if we had a child and they took that child from us and, and put that child back with their family, I don't know that we could take that pain. I don't know. I don't know if I could do that. And he said, well, Wes, I don't mean to get on to you here, but, you know, we're friends. Let me just tell you this. He said, "I, you just made that whole thing about your pain. And he said, it's really about the pain of that kid. Yeah. That's what we're called to do is to bear their burdens. And can't you, for the sake of the gospel, can't you just share in some of that pain and take some of that pain from them temporarily? And I said, well, dude, that makes me feel great, you know. <laughs> and But he was right. Yeah. He was right. And I went home and talked to my wife and we said, even if it hurts, I mean, even if it brings us to our knees in tears, let's let's help out some kid while we can. Let's and it it turned out really good for us. Um, we were able to adopt Pierre and he is he is my son and, and he is a blessing. But I would encourage anyone to go down that path and it's going to be difficult and it's going to be hard, uh, but do it anyway. Wes, you're you're a blessing. Your family's a blessing, and I'm I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for your friendship. I'm grateful that God has put you in Kentucky. Um, and in my prayer, be the Lord leave you here a long time and, and just use you in all kinds of ways. It's good to be Kentucky Baptist right now, isn't it? Amen. It is. It's good it to be is. together. How can we pray for you as we wrap up? I would love for you to pray just uh, as I serve as president um, that I wouldn't mess it up. You know, help me to uh, to get it right. Pray for uh, the gospel to every home. Pray for revival in every church. Uh, certainly pray for, for my family and, and the church here in Mayfield. It will be super. Well, let, me, let me lead this in prayer. Father God, thank you so much for saving us and for giving us in, uh, a good work to do, meaningful work to do while we're here on earth. Thank you, thank you for Wes. Thank you for how you've shaped him as a, a pastor, your Lord, as a, a husband and a father. Thank you for his friendship. Thank you for the blessing he is to the church at Mayfield. Um, but to all of us, dear Lord, and so I pray for him as he as he leads out as president of the Kentucky Baptist Convention this first day in this in this role. I pray, Lord, that you'd use him. We pray for the gospel to every home in Kentucky. We pray it'll be delivered, and we pray there'll be a great harvest. And we pray for revival in every church, dear Lord. Every church in Kentucky would be better off if they hosted a a prayerful revival service, a series of meetings where they preach the gospel, sing good songs, fellowship together prayed for the lost, and try to reach their community. So we pray in Jesus' name that you'd give life to that, that vision and, and that goal and that you'd make it happen. May your blessings abide on Brother West, on his bride, on his children, on First Baptist Church Mayfield. And Father, I do pray Deuteronomy 111 over his life. I pray you'll bless him and make him a, a thousand times as many more as he is right now and that you'd bless him as you promised. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to Leadership Lessons with Dr. Todd Gray. Find past episodes on our website at kybaptist.org slash leadership lessons. Thank you.